Welcome to the Man Up Podcast. I'm Winston Wolf. I solve problems. A spiritual oasis for men. We're not pastors, just regular guys. Put that coffee down. Coffee's for closers only. So, for the uncommon man, created by equally uncommon men, this is Man Up. Good after hello hello everybody once again welcome to the Man Up podcast. Uh, we're not pastors; we're regular guys. This is your weekly spiritual oasis for men. Um, we're we're Baptists here. Uh, we are studying the letters of Paul to the Corinthians, and we're just about to wrap that up. And this is a letter about confrontation, about dealing with difficult problems, difficult situations, uh, criticism, um, whether, you know, whether someone should be in a church or not. And it's quite ironic, uh, given the news that has uh, come up in Houston this week with uh, the Southern Baptist Convention and the Baptist Church, particularly in, in Texas, uh, the Houston Chronicle jointly with the San Antonio Express, is publishing a series of articles about uh, problems with sexual abuse, uh, sexual predators Mm -hmm. in Baptist churches. And it is a well-researched article. Uh, It is uh, quite well done, being as as a journalist. It raises a lot of questions. I do want to, before we get into Corinthians, I do want to talk a little about that because it is probably top of mind and it's made the national news. Um, with me here are uh, Robert Cusho, our, uh, who is a uh, volunteer with the youth ministry here in this church. Um, he'll be here to talk about it. Uh, with me also is... Um, Mike Cropper, who who may have some insights. Uh, he's a prosecutor. We we have we're really we're really well versed tonight. Um, I'm Steve Titch. I'm just a policy analyst and sometime poker player. And I'll be sitting in as host once again as host once again as uh, we uh, we uh, await the return of Bill Cox, our director and all around great guy. We hope to have him back soon. But let me start with this by going to Robert. Um, Sure. Tell us a little bit how uh, the Baptist Church is set up. What is the Southern Baptist, Baptist yeah. Convention, uh, and 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 why why are the, why is all is this big? Uh, why is yeah. what is the yeah. relevance of yeah. all this? Exactly. And and, and, yeah. and and where exactly is there a conspiracy? Has things have things yeah. been covered up? Tell us how this works. So so unlike so. Everyone's comparing this because I read the article, and so I got a text from Steve that you want to talk about. Well, first of all, that's just a great in case idea. somebody hadn't read the article, right? Tell so us the, a the article was published that, last you? Sunday. Either one of you it, it was a joint article between the Houston Chronicle and the San Antonio Express, and it researched and found over 200 ministers, youth ministers, and volunteers in Baptist churches that had been accused slash convicted of sexual abuse. And predatory crimes, mm-hmm. and and I will say predatory crimes. Yeah. So, a lot of people wanted to. A lot of the commenters, oh my God, it's just like the Catholics, and and I am here to tell you, no, it is not just like the Catholics. One of my little secrets that I don't hide it, but I really don't talk about it. So I have forty-five hours of a ninety-five hour program towards a master's in divinity from Southwestern Seminary. At one time, 
I was vocational youth ministry staff at several small churches here in the Houston area. So, mm -hmm. how Baptists get their ministers? There's not a pope, there's not a bishop, there's not an ecclesiastical council that appoints. A, you know, somebody leaves the church and they say, Steve, that's now your church, go there. When Baptist churches lose staff members, and our church has just gone through this, we turned over about 90% of our staff in the last two years here, and just because, you know, people move mm -hmm. on, things happen. Nothing bad. We love our staff. We want them to stay. We are so happy they're all here now. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm just going to put that out. Um, but when someone leaves, that church forms a search committee usually that goes and solicits resumes from stuff. So, And by the way, there's not a one ad either. So we used to kind of joke about the Baptist Standard. There's a Baptist Standard newspaper that's published, and there's an article in there on the move. And it has in there so-and-so has left so-and-so church to go to this church. And if you wanted to move churches and you were interested in that one you had in your head, all right, so who do I know at that church or who do I know that knows someone there that I can give my resume to that forwards them on to it? So it, it, every church is autonomous and hires their people in and of themselves. So it is not anyone appointing, there's not a conspiracy. Now, so the, the, yeah, the, the SBC, yeah. they're not a governing body, the way not I understand. At all. They're more of an association. It's an of association churches. of, and, and there's two. There's the Southern Baptist Convention in Texas. There is the Baptist General Convention, which is a convention of just Texas churches. Mm -hmm. And then there is the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship that formed off the SBC mm -hmm. during the 90s. I'm not even going to There, there are a number of these associations. Right. I mean, there is not a single right. Baptist church organization in the United States. That is correct. The SBC just happens to be the largest. Right. That is correct. And so, you know, would churches call the SBC to find candidates? Possibly. So, the good news is, as Steve alluded to as he read the article and talked about it, most of these guys are in jail at this moment. <laughs> so it's not the Catholics that got hit up. Um, a lot of the Baptist churches, most of the Baptist churches fired them. Um, I think there was one that has not. and That's some small country church mm -hmm. up in East Texas, if I remember correctly. And I don't know what that's mm -hmm. all about. I'm not even going to go there. Um, but I did not experience any of this. There was talk. You know, this church over here had to fire their youth minister because they were fired. And I can tell you the Baptist network is strong. And anyone who, anyone that was alluded to had been involved in all this would not have gotten recommendation to a church. It sounds like some of, this, some of what happened is people hired them and then potentially because of HR laws, maybe they didn't, when somebody asked them about it, well, yeah, we had to let him go. I can't comment why. And because churches hire their ministers, they're not independent contractors. They are literally, most ministers are literal employees, W-2 employees of the church. There is not an independent contractor status, so there is a defamation and all of those things that are involved in HR law. I'm a trainer, so I know a lot about HR law to be. So, um, so you're saying if, if somebody brings this out when they are changing positions of churches, there's a possibility of defamation or a possibility of criminal charges. Can, now, criminal charges are another matter. What I'm talking about is if, if, if you are fired from any company, the standard response for that company is he is not, we are, he is not eligible here for rehire. Mm -hmm. 
Baptist churches follow that employment law. Okay. In particular, large Baptist churches like ours. Now, I will tell you this, from a volunteer standpoint that works with the youth. We have a youth protection training that's been designed. Um, I actually took it this year. I took, we have to take it every year. We have a too deep rule, meaning I am never in a room alone with a child. I'm never alone in a car with a child. Mm -hmm. um, we have a very specific rules and everything that we follow regarding that. Um, when we go to camp, the camp actually has training that has been designed that we are required to take as well. Too deep, never alone, you know, what you can and can't do. If something is there, you contact the camp staff, we talk about it, you know, and we do all of that. So, and, and that's better than it was in previous years. Mainly because I'll, I'll fess up. I commented on their training a couple of years ago. Our <laughs> youth minister ran me to him and said, "Talk to this guy." <laughs> Here, here's the because mm -hmm. this is the other side of the coin. Right. It's it's not ministers aren't moved around by a large organization. Totally correct. But then it comes down to the congregation to do the due diligence. Yes. And to take responsibility when something goes right. wrong. And, and the easiest way to think about it is every Baptist church is an independent organization that operates mm -hmm. by itself. And so they are solely responsible for their conduct mm -hmm. in their hiring, firing, and employment of mm -hmm. anyone that works mm -hmm. for them and how they handle their volunteers, by the way. But this this is, and, and, and I think this is, what the article in many ways certainly questions and, and brings out the unwillingness uh, of many churches to deal with this or even the fear. We talk a lot about fear in, in men, the fear of, of, of um, as one, one person said, well, we're worried about, we're worried about making our, our, our leadership look bad. And somebody answered, well, it is bad. You've allowed this. My answer to that is <laughs> who cares. Yeah. And, 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 and I'll be blunt about that. If, if my close your ears, because <laughs> I don't take anywhere near a civil rights approach to uh -huh. this. Under the jail with the big brawly guy who's going to beat you up every night when you bend over to get the soap. I'm good with that for these guys. Um, I, am, I am very much a... I, I always believe that as Christians, A, we should hold ourselves to a higher standard. And B, and Stephen, I've joked mm -hmm. about wine and other things. Mm -hmm. So I would not ever, 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 when I was on staff at a church drink alcohol in public because I did not want someone to see me and go, well, there's that minister over at the Baptist church. Mm -hmm. Look at him drinking. Mm -hmm. You know, and that's why. Mm -hmm. But I, I do I do want to tie and it to, to oh, some yeah. of the things we've been studying and the confrontation aspect. And it's and it's clear that certainly and we have a, we're one of the churches we have the programs you say, which which many organizations do, which is great best practices. But you know the article points out that um, uh, back as you know, a little back as ten years ago, ten twenty years ago, these these incidents were happening. Victims were raising this issue, and they weren't. They weren't. They, they certainly wanted churches to take responsibility, but they were saying, "Put these policies and protocols in place, so we so we don't have or we, we 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 stop these problems before they become problems." What, what, why, why is there such a barrier? 
And I, wouldn't, I won't call out just the, the Baptist Church on this, because other organizations, the same things happen. The Boy Scouts? Uh, we, we look, uh, and the Boy Scouts uh, uh, at least okay. have the plan. But you look, you, look at, you look at the American gymnasts. You look, you look at, at yes. Penn State, where, where it's very easy. Well, I would say it's, the, the, the policies, those policies are certainly easy to put in place. There will always be predation. And the thing about the thing about it, and I don't mean to make light of it, but it's a situation like Willie Sutton and the banks. Willie Sutton said he robbed banks because that's where the money is. Predators are going to go where children are, and churches have a lot of at-risk children. It's a great place to go. Uh, scouts the same way, and I think it starts by saying, you know, this is our we we a bank protects its money. We've got to recognize that there are bad people out there. We've got to protect our children. I think and some of pretending. I think a lot of these churches pretended. Oh, that problem won't come in our door. I, I was fixing to say. I think a lot of this is naivety of the church that it's not our people. That it's not, you know. But he's at church every Sunday. He would never do something like that. Well, he's a pastor. Mm -hmm. He would never do that, and he's married. And maybe has children too. You're yeah. absolutely correct. Mm -hmm. There is, we close our eyes not because mm -hmm. we're intentionally ignoring, mm -hmm. but because we're naive and we don't think it could happen with a married couple. Mm -hmm. Say, for instance, um, the the uh, the rape, whatever mm -hmm. with children, everything like that. And by the way, that that where where my um, my objection to it is that these are children. And, that, mm -hmm. and as Steve has mentioned, this mm -hmm. predator and robber has mentioned, folks, these are, this is not an adult having sex or rape, in fact, raping mm -hmm. another adult. It's people, adults, taking advantage mm -hmm. of children. And, and, of course, you all know this if you've read the article that Robert and, and, and Steve I'm going to And I'm going to add to that, Mike. It's yeah. people taking advantage of children, and those people are in a trusting leadership yes. authoritative role yes. in, that, in those lives. Yes, absolutely. And it's disgusting, to say the least. Um, beyond. <laughs> oh, beyond. You, you heard my yeah. comments. Yeah, yeah. Oh, <laughs> you yeah. know, I'm, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm kind of old school justice on that mm -hmm. stuff. Well, yeah. I, I, we've got to move on, but I will say I would urge um, uh, listeners to check out the article. Um, resist the urge to be defensive about it and think about what we've been talking about here, what does your church do to prevent this? And uh, where, where I like to think we've come a, even a bit of a way since uh, in the last 20 years. But as I said, you're, you're, predators seek children. And in a lot of cases, we didn't talk about it, pastors are charismatic people. And, and most, of the, most of a predator's job is convincing you he's not the predator. Um, and that's why they managed to get away so long with it. So it's really, you're not going to spot them individually, but if you have policies in place, such as two deep rules, such as uh, YPT training, um, that certainly acts as a way of protecting yourself. Um, we're going to move on. And, uh, and if, if I could, super, yes, super quick. If you want to add. So Russell Moore, who okay. is the... Mm -hmm. President of the Southern Baptist Convention Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission, mm -hmm. and wrote the book Onward, I think it is, that we've mm -hmm. read here as a men's book, some mm -hmm. burgers issue, um, regarding how Christians influence and work with the mm -hmm. culture. He responded to the total allegations, and I found this. Yes. Mm -hmm. 
in a uh, article from thegospelcoalition.org. So just mm-hmm. so everybody knows where I found it. Um, and he said, we should see the scandal in terms of the church as a flock, not as a corporation. Many, whether in Hollywood or the finance industry or elsewhere, see such horrors as public relations problems to be managed. The church often thinks the same way. Nothing could be further from the way of Christ. Jesus does not cover up sin within the temple of his presence. He brings everything hidden to light. We should too. When we downplay or cover over what has happened in the name of Jesus to those he loves, we are not protecting, in quotes, Jesus' reputation. We are instead fighting Jesus himself. No church should be frustrated by the Eastern Chronicles reporting, but should thank God for it. The judgment seat of Christ will be far less reticent than a newspaper series to uncover what should never have been hidden. And I just read that and I'm like, oh, i got to read that. So, and, and I agree with you totally on 2 Corinthians. This is, it, it's how do you confront and confront appropriately. And the churches have failed to do that. And maybe we'll learn a little more about that. We're going to go to the lesson. We are the last lesson, lesson 13 of Correction and Counsel, a study of First and Second Corinthians, a part of the Connect 360 series published by Baptist Way Press. The title of the lesson is The Promise of Sufficient Grace. Uh, and in other words, what, what gets us through something like this? What gets you through a confrontation of this scale? And, and what does the, the, the Bible say about this? What does Paul say about this? I'm going to go to Mike, our yeah. prosecutor, because he's been uh, preparing the lesson. So tell us about, uh, this is 2 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, verses 1 through 10. Okay, thank you, Steve. Uh, folks, before we get into that, just a quick three paragraphs, a little bit about a reminder of what Corinthians was and what we've been studying about for the last uh, 13 weeks. Um, I found a little blurb from uh, one pastor that says, uh, uh, if, if you haven't been following us or if you haven't quite connected with it, I had a little trouble connecting with Paul and the Corinthians at first. Uh, so I'm going to read these three paragraphs and maybe it'll help you understand what we've been uh, confronting each week. And folks, as, as you might know, if you've read Corinthians, we're just touching it, skimming it. We are not going into uh, first or second Corinthians in depth. We're just hitting on a few key, key chapters that the author of our book wanted us to study. Now, what this... What this uh, this short summary says is that Paul's relationship to the Corinthian churches or Corinthian Christians is a complicated one. His first encounter with the Corinthians came as he first brought the gospel to them. He spent about a year and a half in Corinth. He established a church and when he felt like the church was established, Paul left the city and moved on and continued his missionary journey. Well, about a year and a half later, Paul wrote a letter to the Corinthians. Now, we don't have this first letter, but we know that it exists because Paul mentions it in chapter 5 of the letter which we call 1 Corinthians, which is, in this case, the second letter, actually. Now, he wrote in response to some news that the church was struggling spiritually. Now, the Corinthians responded with a letter of their own, asking for clarification on certain matters of life and theology, This prompted Paul, the questions again from the Corinthians reveal some deep confusion and serious issues. 
This prompted Paul to write another letter, the first we have, and we call it the First Corinthians. In that letter, Paul not only offered counsel to the Corinthians and direction to the church, but he also said that he hoped to actually go back to Corinth and encourage them face to face. However, his plans changed and he was not able to go. His partner Timothy then went, however, and found the situation in the Corinth church really bad. They had done they had not done anything Paul had told them to do or instructed to do in his letter uh, of 1 Corinthians, and the church was in fact fragmenting under the weight of its sin. Paul immediately set aside everything else and made an urgent visit to Corinth to straighten things up. His direct confrontation with the Corinthians turned out to be a bitter and a humiliating experience for Paul. And, and this was a painful visit that caused him much sorrow. And the reason he did not return after he told them that he would return, he said, there was so much pain, I did not want to return to you and cause you much grief. And, and essentially saying, I'm so angry, uh, I cannot return to you till I calm down because I want to come when I'm in a much better mood. Well, the church had not only rejected Paul's instructions, but he had chosen to follow other men who opposed Paul and they treated him with disrespect and ridicule as apostleship. So not surprisingly, Paul did not stay long in Corinth, and even this, his choice not to return, was used by his opponents as evidence of Paul's indecisiveness and lack of love for the Corinthians. But the truth was, of course, that Paul does really care for the Corinthians, and he couldn't leave things as they were. He feared that his enemies would destroy the work of the gospel in the church. Now, we're getting close here, and then we'll get to the, uh, the, today's lesson. One more paragraph on this. Therefore, Paul wrote a third letter to the Corinthians against, we don't have this letter. But we do know that from his fourth letter, that this third letter was a severe and tearful letter. And, and you can see that in 2 Corinthians 2, 4, and 9. While Titus took this letter to Corinth, Paul remained in Ephesus, where he faced some of the worst opposition to the gospel he had yet encountered. In fact, you remember, folks, in one of the uh, lessons we studied earlier that Paul stated he almost died, but God's grace was sufficient for him and took him through uh, the illness or whatever he went through. Eventually, Paul and Titus reunited and the apostle received news of Corinth, and Titus, Titus then brought good news that many of the Corinthians had repented of their treatment to Paul, and they were restoring his gospel message and following what he instructed them to do. But all was still not good. Some still remained in lifestyle and immorality, and while others continued to look down on Paul because of his suffering, which some equated to lack of apostleship. And I put in here notes, righteous and holiness. So all of this was made worse by a group of false apostles who undermined Paul's authentic apostleship and made it difficult for Paul to minister to the Corinthians. It's into this context that Paul writes his fourth letter to the Corinthians and the second one we have in our Bible, which we call 2 Corinthians. And then now, real quickly, folks, last week we uh, Paul addressed the Corinthians who were still criticizing him for being timid and, and wimpy. You remember that. He also addressed them for criticizing him by worldly standards and explained to them that he fights with divine weapons which are much more powerful than the weapons that they are fighting with. And that's worldly criticism. And he says, wait till I get there. Wait till I come to see you. So in between last week's lesson and today's lesson, 
in chapter 11, Paul continues his defense, and he begins to boast on who he is in Christ compared to those false apostles and teachers and prophets. Um, two important passages which we did not address in our lesson was number one, Paul warns the Christians of the false teachers and false apostles who many of them had been following. And he warns them to look at their fruits that follow them of their teachers and he reminds them, remember, Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. This is verse 13 in chapter 11 if you want to glance at that. And he says, these apostles and these deceivers will masquerade as servants of righteousness also. So you must look at their fruits, and this will reveal, reveal their true character. And then finally, the second thing Paul boasts of in many trials and sufferings he has gone through in the name of the Lord, Paul talks about his, his beatings, his being in prison several times, shipwrecked, starved, thirsty, cold, and naked, and sleepless. And then he tells them, this is my authority that God has given to me because I do it to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. You won't hear that from these false teachers and false apostles. They cannot claim this. Now, today's lesson, folks. That was a great recap. We're done. No more podcasts. No, no. Do you want to go to break just for a second? We'll go ahead. Oh, why don't? Yeah. Why don't we let our our listeners digest some of that, and we'll be right back to talk more about Second Corinthians. Uh, verses, uh, well, Second Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 10. Find that in your Bibles uh, during our break. You are listening to the Man Up Podcast, spiritual oasis for men. Just like any muscle, we feel the faith muscle must be exercised. And here we do it real authentic, the Man Up way. Not pastors, just regular guys, each on a unique spiritual journey. Thanks for joining us. Deep questions and discussions you won't hear anywhere else, especially in today's climate. Missed an episode? They are archived. Free for you to select on SoundCloud. We come to you from the Man Up Studios at Sugarland Baptist Church, Sugarland, Houston, Texas, in the United States. Have a question or comment, or want to book a speaker or group and have Man Up come to you? Contact us on our Facebook page, Gigmasters, or WMA Cox at Comcast.net. And now, back to fellows of Man Up. We're going to look at 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 12, verses 1 through 10. Robert. Two things, real quick. Oh, oh we got it. Two things, folks. You will listen to what Robert's going to read to you, and if you read along with him, it's great. First of all, Paul continues this boasting that I told you about in chapter 11. And this time he's going to tell you, I not only have authority because of what I've suffered for Christ, but of the revelations and visions God has shown me. And also... Along with that, God gives me a thorn in the flesh to keep me humble. Yeah, and I'm, I'm really looking forward to talking about the thorn in the flesh. I'm really. So I'm going to read this is 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 10. And I believe this is the, yeah, this is the NIV version. So, I must go on boasting, although there is nothing to be gained. I will go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, but God knows, was caught up to paradise. He heard inexpressible things, 
things that man is not permitted to tell. I will boast about a man like that, but I should not boast about myself except about my weaknesses. Even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain, so no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say. To keep me from being conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations, there was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I can just imagine him saying to the, these false apostles and preachers, take that. Oh, oh yeah. Well, and, and let, let me, let me, I want to unpack one thing super quick and then we, want, we can talk about a different things. So when he talks about the third heaven, so Jewish belief at the time believed there were three levels of heaven. Level one was what we call earth, sky, clouds, atmosphere. Heaven 2 was outer space. Moon, star, sun, sky. You know, what we would call today outer space. The third heaven was referred to as the dwelling place of God. Mm-hmm. So that's literally where he is when he says the third heaven. Because a lot of people, well, heaven's what's this guy. No, 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 no. Is, they literally took it that way. Is Paul talking about himself? Absolutely. No, yeah, he, he, was, he was absolutely talking about all, all of the critics agree he was talking about himself. And this was kind of a third-person trick that a lot of writers did. Um, John did it. He called it, you know, he would always call himself the, the disciple Jesus loved. That's right. You know? And so Paul is doing that third-person trick here. And, and partially because, like you said, Mike, the end of this is, what you got about that? Yeah. <laughs> you got anything to go against that? Well, because not only that, hey, I'm going to tell you all the great things I do. And, oh, by the way... There's the thorn in the flesh, and and I really would like let, let's well, talk. You know, this about is that. I mean we everybody yeah, knows yes. about this everybody the knows. thorn in the and 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 there's so there's probably more speculation on it than there has been. Well, there, there's three major ones. <laughs> okay, well three three, Okay, let's, yeah. let's 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 because you're the, the yeah. professor here. Um, <laughs> let's go. Let, what are what are the so, three major so theories? Number one, this? one theory is some kind of physical ailment, and most people are leaning towards eyesight. Because I think it's yeah, it's Ephesians. Yeah. At the end of it, he says, "See how large my letters are that I have to I've write." Written you, yeah, yeah. The yeah. second one is that his and and along with that is his body has also been so physically tormented, beatings, mm-hmm. stonings that you know he had to have suffered injuries, mm-hmm. I, you know that may have not have healed. You know there was He's not modern, yeah. there was not antibiotics and modern mm-hmm. science and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, the second one. Really is, it was a spiritual. The third. Okay. Yeah, yeah. well, the, okay. the first two are kind of together. Yeah, okay. Oh, all right. Okay. So the second one is some kind of a spiritual torment. That, mm-hmm. that he struggled spiritually and he couldn't understand something. You know, and, and kind of a corollary to that <clears> one that goes along <throat> with it is that these visions and stuff were so powerful to him that it was a thorn in his flesh that he couldn't describe them. And then the third one, literally is that his thorn in the flesh was the burden he felt for the Jewish people and how much they rejected him in Christ. 
because he always started with the Jews. Paul is known, what, what is Paul known as? The apostle to the Gentiles. But, his, but where did he go? Every time he went to a new city, where did he go? So the synagogue. Exactly. Yes, that's where and so that's where that one comes from. And so those are kind of the three leading theories. There are multiple others like you have alluded to. But those are the three leading theories when you look at them. Mm-hmm. When you take what he states literally, though, the, the, and um, I can't help but believe it is a physical ailment, whether it's eyesight or a... A, a, an injury from being stoned. I'm all whipped. for it being all three. It could be. It's something. What's be. funny? He's, he's prayed for it to be taken away. So it it's he strikes me it. as more of an, yeah. as something that could heal. I mean, I, 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 nearsightedness is going to be with age. Yep. You know, he doesn't believe in miracles, so maybe he, he, he he's going that far. But I, I tend to think think of it as something that being a clue to something that that perhaps he's he's going to have to learn to live with or he's had to learn to live with even though <laughs> maybe he sees that it could we know, be it's good, a good point. We know that people sometimes suffer from macular degeneration mm-hmm. or in, in the case of my fiance, Fuchs disease where you cannot it definitely could not treat it back then. Mm-hmm. Um, she went through a transplant of a lens and a cornea recently, three months ago. That was unheard of, what, just 20 years ago. So oh, yeah. any type of disease with the eyes, like you said, Robert and Steve, it, you could not treat back then. The be- best you could do is create some type of uh, possibly glass mm-hmm. that magnifies, right? Well, the, well not yes. that then, not even, you didn't have, mm-hmm. you didn't you really have, have glasses or anything until Benjamin Franklin's mm-hmm. era. Oh, well, so says not a historian. So, yeah. Um, but it's in, it's interesting what um, I, I, he doesn't get specific. But it, it, perhaps it is all three because it's surprisingly cagey for him. Um, you know why why wouldn't he say I you know I've got a well, I've, I'm forever burned with my it, with, a, with my an injury I receive I, I received from a feast my knee hurts. Um, or I'm I'm I barely can see to write, but he he, hint, he hints at it as at, in the Ephesians uh, letter, as you pointed out. Um, perhaps it, perhaps it's complicated, and and he just says, suffice it to say, it's a it's a thing, it's a thorn in the flesh. It, it is, as he referred to it, it is a weakness sent from God, so mm-hmm. he doesn't become conceited. Mm-hmm. Because my bet is, Paul, just knowing everything we know about him. My bet is he had a tendency to be arrogant, conceited, and he knew that about mm-hmm. himself. I mean, I mean, just everything we've read alludes to that. You know, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to confront Peter. <laughs> you know, how did he approach the persecution in the early church? I mean, he, was a, he was a true believer. I mean, in a, oh, in yeah. a way, he was he was he was the enforcer. He was the guy, he was the go-to guy. The guy. Well, and not only that, but he was the. He, he calls himself at one at one point he was the Pharisee of Pharisees, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and so he really had. I, I think he realized that this was here to keep me humble. You know that this was here for a reason, to keep mm-hmm. me humble, to keep me down to earth, to keep me focused on Christ, so that it doesn't become about me, and and I'm kind of like you, Mike. I, I really do believe at the end of this, it's almost like. 
and next. <laughs> you know, that, that he is just like, you know what? Well, the, the good part, will you, I didn't yeah. interrupt you. The, the, the part that, that um, after all the boastings in chapter 11 and 10 where you talked about last week, and I just mentioned very, very briefly, he says, okay, if that's not good enough for you, I'm going to tell you about the visions and revelations I've had from God, right? Mm -hmm. And I'll bet you cannot combat that or you cannot argue and with And then me he about follows that. it up with this thorn in the flesh. <laughs> yes. To yeah, show yeah. that, hey, I'm just human, just like you are. I've had all that happen to me, but I'm just like you. Yeah. yeah. You know, my message is validated by God because of the visions, but I am here to preach Christ and Christ alone. What do you think he heard or saw in heaven? After you meet Jesus on the road to Damascus, I know, what, it's who, kind of is there anything is it though? <laughs> is it though? I mean, the, the descriptions we have from Ezekiel and Revelation, oh, yes. mm -hmm. and it, a few other descriptions we've had are just, you know, Jesus at the Transfiguration. I, I yeah, I'm, I'm kind of like. I, I, I think that the revelation where it talks about streets of golden glass yeah. and crystal mm -hmm. and I, I think that's I think they only told them not to say anything. <laughs> yeah, well, I agree they with didn't that John too. the Revelator. John, yeah, I, I think revelation. not reveal anything, but at the same time, look at it and those descriptions are things of a first century mind trying mm -hmm. to comprehend what he's seeing. Right. You know, we would describe it today as, oh my gosh, it was Star Trek and the mm -hmm. doors opened. And, you know, but um, yeah, you know, it, 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 it had to have been something that was so amazing. But you well, see, we you kind of see that in the Old Testament with 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 yes. with, with um, Ezekiel and, and you really can't well. make sense of what, what what the wheels and things yeah. turning and animal you know it's it's just somebody is in whether whatever his experience was words literally couldn't describe it yeah, yeah. it reminds me of the Garden of Eden because mm -hmm. we can't imagine what that was however you can look at. Jurassic Park and see yes. these beautiful mm -hmm. mountains and mm -hmm. vegetation, everything in Hawaii or Kauai, <laughs> right? If y'all have ever been over mm -hmm. there, and it's just it's it's unfathomable. So, mm -hmm. It's hard to describe without showing a picture yeah. of it. So that's what I think of whenever uh, he says I'm caught up to heaven there. But he also he says he, uh, I was instructed not to say what I heard and everything like that. So well, I I, I think there's something here in that last verse. That that is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses and insults and hardships, in persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And I think there's something there because, as we kind of wrap up this mm -hmm. conflict in council, we we've talked a lot about how to confront and what it takes to be confronted and take your time and think through it. And at the end of Corinthians, it does have. A a little bit more after this, but this is kind of the start of the conclusion of the book. He's literally saying, look, yeah, all that, but guess what? The strongest you are in Christ is when you are the weakest as a human being. And I think that's something that we have as a takeaway, especially in today's world, where they want us to hear the opposite. 
Oh no, when you're with Christ, you're going to be strong and you're going to excel. And yeah, no. <laughs> well, it, it plays into in the title of the lesson, and, and what's brought up at the end is the "My grace is sufficient for you." Yes, that that in your you are you are you're you are approaching God in your weakness, but that that grace is there, and that is what what. And I don't want to say provides the strength, but whatever you need, maybe that's that's the essence of you know we, we go to the cliche. You may not always get what you want, but you'll get what you need. Where what that need is is the f sufficient grace that will 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 cover that, um, even when it even when it seems all is lost. I'm I'm glad you mentioned. You, you, I did not realize that he is in the middle in, in the middle of dealing with these Corinthians issues. He's dealing with a whole lot of problems in Ephesus um, mm -hmm. on top of everything else. So, you know, he's like, when the, on top of everything else, I got the Corinthians uh, and, they're, and they're squabbling and I'm trying to, trying to keep myself alive here. And so he's in this, he's, he's it's correct what they say. He's, he's at a point of crisis. He's got a lot of things going on. He's got some self-doubt. He's wondering what's going on. And yet he, he can sit down and meditate and write, my grace is sufficient for you. And, um, and can, we, can, we relate, can we relate that, honestly, uh, to a physical ailment? Like you recently were no. injured. Mm -hmm. can, can you relate God saying my grace is for, sufficient for you when you're injured and you're having to do nothing? And wait on him. You're I mean, you're you're putting me on the spot, but yes, I, I can say I you've got. I mean, I I didn't. Well, I I'm, I'm not sorry, the didn't type of person who. Th I'm no, no, that's okay. That's what, what we, is, that's just, what we do here on Man Up. We, we put each other <laughs> we on the call spot. Call it out, and we call <laughs> it out. So no, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not bothered by that. I'm, I'm just trying to, to to think about the answer properly. Well, well, why are you thinking about that? What I'm thinking myself is. Is, is what he says here, my grace is sufficient for you, but I don't really see that at times I've been weak or been ill or sick or miserable. I see it after I come mm -hmm. through it. Not necessarily at the time. Mm -hmm. I guess that's what I'm kind of seeking well, for an answer what, for what, you. Is, what, what, I, what I came out of in that wasn't so much about me, was to see the response of the church. Um, in oh, just wow. a whole okay. lot of that little things. Good. I mean, and and your, and that that to me was, I'll admit it, a, a, a different experience because I'm 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 an independent person. I usually don't like to rely on other people, and suddenly, not I'm not even asking. People are bringing over casseroles, and I'm, I, that sounds funny from a Baptist church, but but man, my wife is running me back and forth to the. To the hospital, um, to the doctor. My kid still has to be in school. Um, yeah, when someone brings food enough for a few days, that is a blessing. Well, and, and um, I was going to say you can good. you can make all the fun you want of that. Mm -hmm. Our church actually has a ministry, mm -hmm. and we prepare those, mm -hmm. and people put them in freeze them for mm -hmm. those situations. And you're right because I've been in when I, when father-in-law when my mm -hmm. mom has been in the hospital mm -hmm. and. I put on, dealing with my mom last January, February, mm -hmm. I put on about 15 mm -hmm. pounds because I was having to run through mm -hmm. fast food mm -hmm. and eat because that's mm -hmm. all I had time to do. Yeah. And so having a home-cooked meal delivered to your house, 
-hmm. is an amazing thing. <laughs> and and you know it's you know it's the people visited, uh, not 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 just the church too, but even neighbors down the block. Mm -hmm. uh, there was you you. I, I guess it's the old reverse. You know they that the cynics say. You never know how many friends you have until you win the lottery. I, I think if, you, if you're laid low at a certain point, sometimes you never really realize how many friends so you have just until that happens. You never know how many friends you have until you can't be a friend of them yeah, because and, of an illness or sickness, at least, at least for a temporary time. So that's the best way. Yes, yes. The that, grace that you yeah. saw came through the church and neighbors and friends. and. Uh, and, and I think that's, that's the amazing. ultimate takeaway from Second Corinthians, as we kind of wrap it mm -hmm. up, yeah. is that it, the Scripture is there for correction when we need it. It's there for counsel mm -hmm. when we need it. But in the end, Christ's grace is sufficient for us yes. as we move forward. You know, what a great way to end this study. Amen. Yeah. We've kind of yes. wrapped up. Amen. We are ending this study, but starting next week, we'll have a new one. We're... Uh, again, it's, it's the next in the Connect 360 series. It is called Grace and Truth. It is a study of the Gospel of John. Um, anybody who's oh, looking I forward am, to that? I, I am <laughs> pumped for John. I am so pumped. Um, John, I, I, I will do a whole history of John <laughs> compared to the other three Gospels next week. But all, all you have to know is John... In the very first chapter of John, very first verse is well, John, and, and I would have to look it up, but it's one one, and then jumping down to around twelve to fourteen, so I can get the verse right. But it's it's in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and then jumping down to about verse twelve, verse fourteen, 14, 14. the Word became flesh right. and dwelt among men. That right there is the pure essence of what Christianity is all about because it is the only religion, philosophy, whatever you want to call it in the world where the God threw everything off and became a man with all those limitations. And then not only that, but said, oh yeah, you can kill me. And by the way, when you kill me, you're going to do other things that's going to make sure you're all redeemed. It's mm -hmm. the only faith that does that. And so I'm, I'm, I'm excited about John. Mm -hmm. I really am. I'm, I'm stoked. He's stoked. <laughs> I, was just saying, yeah, no, I can't say more than that. Uh, verse 1 and verse 14 are just epitome of everything. They really are, and, and everybody gives me a hard time because that's my version <laughs> Christmas. Mm -hmm. and like, but that's not Christmas. I'm yes, like, it is. yes, it is. It is the Christmas story. Yes. Yeah, that's <laughs> yes. great. Uh, thank you. So we'll look forward to that as uh, as things go. We thank you for joining us. This is podcast 91. Uh, we are rolling right along. And if you have some thoughts uh, on what we've been talking about today, certainly please leave a comment. Uh, subscribe. You can also uh, leave a comment, ask questions on our Facebook page, Man Up, Spiritual Oasis for Men. We are at www.manupspiritualoasis.com. Uh, we're on Twitter. Follow us. Uh, we're all over social media. And uh, we also urge you uh, to uh, 
continue your faith journey. Uh, join a Bible-based church. We here at Man Up really do uh, believe Bible literacy is important. That's why we like to get, get together every week and talk about it. And yes, sometimes ir irreverently, but nonetheless, we, uh, we know there is spiritual truth here. We bring the questions. We bring questions you know you always had. You never wanted to ask them in, in Sunday school or in, in, uh, in, your, in, in your ABF, but ask, we, we will discuss them here, so don't be afraid to ask any questions. Uh, we'll, try to, we'll try to get through them. Um, so anyway, uh, we hope you have a good week. We say hello to Bill Cox out there who is recovering for Robert Koshu and uh, Mike Cropper. This is Steve Titch, and you've been listening to Man Up. You've been listening to Man Up. You've got anything. I want the truth. You can't handle the truth. Dedicated to the uncommon man, created by equally uncommon men. If I were the man I was five years ago, I'd take a flamethrower to this place. You can contact us on Facebook under Man Dash Up. Post questions, and we'll answer them right here on the Man Up Podcast.